Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back once again to Fighting on Film, everybody. Uh, this week, it's another one of our Patreon-voted movies. Every month, we're going to be asking them to choose a film for us. So this month, we put the vote to some modern warfare films, and they voted for 2020's The Outpost. So I wanted to do a modern film because over the last month we've heard that the drawdown in Afghanistan is going to finally come to an end. Mm. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to look back on that with a film about Afghanistan. So we, we put up uh, three or four choices, a British film, Canadian film, a couple of American movies and The Outpost one out and it's a movie all about the the battle of kamdesh in 2009 i'm going to go out on a limb and i'm going to say it's possibly the best modern warfare film that you can currently watch i'd, I'd go that far that's that's a big uh, yeah it's a big it claim well yeah I, I love 13 hours i like the patrol yeah. i watched you know, i watched every one of these films we put up in anticipation of the vote the outpost is just it has something it just had at its heart it has something there and I'm sure we'll get into it as we go along, but there's a lot of heart in this movie that I think is missing from modern movies. It's extremely movies. well done. Mm, yeah. I know that the director went to West Point and served, so he's bringing in his memories. You've got loads of testimony and loads of actual combat footage from either side of the battle itself, and mm. you can just create this amazing narrative from the real information and the real history. It's almost a verbatim piece film. You know, and, and listening to Ty's um, testimonies, like the words that he says in interviews are pretty much the words that are on the script. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the script. So it's, yeah, sorry to jump in there, but it is just a remarkable film. It's really interesting too in that there's a few people that were um, present in the movie. So mm. we have this, you know, it's, it's something that happened more frequently, you know, in the heyday of, of Hollywood war movies, yeah. you know, so with... exactly. Um, we've we've mentioned before battleground and that kind of thing, and obviously this is the glory things like that. Again, this is this is that sort of ilk where we've got um, three guys that were present either at the battle or at the actual outpost itself. And as you said, it also draws on all of those experiences. And there's some um, behind the scenes documentary stuff where you know some of the guys that were there are interviewed and, and spoken to. Yeah, and you can see where the the production team have drawn 
all of their sources from. From, but we mu- we must mention it's Daniel um, Daniel Rodriguez. He plays himself. You had Henry Hughes, um, Brad Larson, who he played. Yeah, he's got quite a big part, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And then Ty Carter, who won the Medal of Honor, it has a brief cameo. But he in the movie is played by Caleb Landry Jones, and we we should transition into the cast now. I think. So Matt. Yeah. So we have. Um, it's quite an interesting cast, actually. You've got people like Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Uh, Milo Gibson, um, Scott Eastwood, as you mentioned, Caleb Landry Jones, and we even have an Amber in there. Will Amber yeah. is in there too. It, it seems, I mean, is this the new sort of trope? Is this the new fighting off film trope? We always find a link back to a bridge too far. Maybe, maybe. A Dickie Attenborough link. Um, yeah, it's like the Sands, isn't it? They're all, they've all been in, you know, war movies and, and, and that sort of thing. So Gibson was in both Hurricane and Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, Orlando Bloom was famously in Black Hawk Down, which I think was one of his earliest movies. And Lord, and Lord of the Rings, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that is a kind of war movie. Um, yeah. Scott Eastwood was in Fury and um, Flags of Our Fathers. Caleb Landry Jones, I don't think he's actually been in any war movies, but he's been pure money in a lot of films Ooh, recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's big, big um, boy. Very good character actor, I think. Mm. Plays slightly disturbed really well. Yeah, he did. He, he recently was in Get Out, wasn't he? Three Billboards. Yeah, yeah. And then Attenborough, Will Attenborough, who isn't a major actor no. in this, but he was in he was in uh, Dunkirk and the BBC afghan series our girl as well yes he was so worth mentioning yeah it's a strong yeah. cast yeah it's a very it, it's i a was very struck strong by it. it's a strong cast. cast no one's other than bloom who plays captain keating who dies relatively early in the film mm. um, not in combat we'll come back to that in a little bit yeah um but other than other than him uh i suppose scott eastwood is the most famous person in the movie um and he plays clint ramesha who also was awarded the medal of honor for, for this battle and wrote his own book, Red Platoon. Red was it? Platoon. Yeah, we got some yeah, questions yeah. from the patrons later, and um, I think that pops up. Yeah. So he wrote his own book, and the movie itself, worth noting, um, is based on Jake Tapper's book, The Outpost: The Untold Story of American Valor. Tapper is a CNN journalist and um, did a lot of work on, obviously, Afghanistan and, and the war in general. It's a really interesting production. We've got quite a strong cast. And I think I think it was filmed in 2018-19. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. So it might be before some of um Landry Jones's like bigger, more prominent roles, possibly, yeah, or just around he, the same time. He's definitely hit hit career started hitting at a perfect time mm. for when this movie's come out. So another thing we should quickly mention before we, we go in deeper. Um, this movie's a, a complete COVID sleeper hit. So it was meant to premiere South by Southwest Film Festival, and obviously that didn't happen. So it, it went straight to VOD, Video On Demand. Um, over here, we got it in the UK, I uh, uh, think a month ago in June. I've been waiting for it for a long time, it seems. It feels yeah. like, because if you remember, we actually talked about this on a show and tell. Yes, we did. Months and months ago, you'd watched it. Yeah. Um, highly rated it. I hadn't seen it because I didn't have Prime or whatever it was on at that point. And now it's on Prime. Yeah. Finally got around to watching it. Wasn't disappointed. I mean, as I said at the start of the episode, it's just it's just a fantastic movie it's so good and it's i think it's just a shame that the movie didn't get a cinematic release but there just has been a um director's cut blu-ray version with 12 extra minutes of footage production wise so it's directed by um rod rod lurie 
So he's an ex-US Army officer, as we said. He went to West Point, graduated. But he um, directed the movie The Contender with Gary Oldman, came out in the early thousands. He also did The Last Castle with Robert Redford. So the guy's got pedigree. That is a film I mentioned when we talked about The Hill. Yeah. Uh, Robert Redford, James Galfini, and, and Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a military prison. And it's kind of like um, like an uprising slash siege. So he knows how to do action. He's coming onto this movie off the back of a Straw Dogs remake that bombed. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. There's quite a gap between films, it seems. But this is this is really well directed, I think. Yeah, it's solid. It's a solid picture. There's, I think there's no... There's lull, but it's for a reason. Everything is tight. Everything me- means something. It's well-paced. Mm. I know you looked up the cinematographer, um, and it's a... I think it's a English-born Italian, Lorenzo... Sanatore. That's the one. Yeah. Or Senatore. Yeah, so he worked on... A, he was second unit on like 300 Rise of an Empire and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Spectre. Yeah, Don't everyone... London Has Fallen and Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, lots. Lots of the action good flicks. Yes. Um, and it shows. Yeah, yeah. Really so he's shows. a very experienced cinematographer and we'll talk about it later on, but there's some gorgeous cinematography, some really Absolutely nice beautiful. shots in this. For me, the one of the shots that stands out is where Ty's got the stretcher and he's trying to get to Mace. Mm-hmm. And you and they must have had either a cameraman so close up to him or f- attached the camera to the end of the stretcher. Mm. And he runs the gauntlet uh, back to El Rastu. You just see him sort of dodging incoming fire yeah, and just bouncing making it... off of things and stumbling. Yeah. And yeah, when you combine that cinematography, the editing, that sound design, the practical effects of those, you know, the RPGs coming in, it's really, it's very effective, yeah. really kinetic, very effective. Um, it's got that sort of chaotic flow to it. Yeah. It was only made for $5 million. Which is insane. Which is absolutely incredible. As we recall, it's, it's on about 2.2 million revenue, but obviously with COVID, you know, that that's really relevant. Who knows with the video on demand stuff, they, yeah, they exactly. never really release it anymore. Yeah. And you never really know with budget either, but I believe it was filmed in, in Bulgaria. Yeah, filmed in Bulgaria. And it, it's a perfect. I mean, I've seen photos of Keaton. I mean, I haven't been to Afghanistan, but... It's very effective. From looking at photographs and videos from Camp Keating, definitely looks. I mean, they even got the river. Yeah. So a little bit of context. Outpost Keating or Cop Keating was based in the, the bottom of a very deep valley. Yeah. Um, with, with mountains on all sides and a river that f- sort of flowed around it, around its edge. Mm. So you're sort of you're penned in anywhere you go, aren't you? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um... Very imposing landscape. Yeah. Um, hilly, very difficult to fight in. How they managed to, to get a location like that in Bulgaria is, is very oh, yeah. impressive. They must have just found a, the perfect valley, the perfect yeah. place, because it. I think we should transition into a plot, really, um, talking about Keating itself. But that opening that opening sequence, they come in through heli- by helicopter at night. You get you establish the main cast. So you've got Scott Eastwood. I think he's going back, his character. Um, Row, I think, is, come, is he going back into the base? I, I don't know. I I, I know he's uh, a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan mm. already, and I know he'd spoken from interviews with, with uh, Ramesha himself. Well, he knew people there, didn't he? Yeah, so maybe he, he'd it was spoken to someone who'd been there previously, and they told him what a death trap it was. Okay, so maybe he just had knowledge going in. Yeah, I mean, so, maybe he'd been there before, I don't know, but... There's banter on the on the helicopter. They say, you know, why are we going in at night? So, well, they say the only reason... The only way the pilots will fly in, you know, so you're like, okay. Yeah. 
it's it's safer. Be, it's pretty hot around here. Okay, so mm-hmm. yeah, if you're not familiar with the actual battle or the the outpost itself, you've got no idea. And then shows the lads getting to their billet. Then it cuts all, the, all all at night still. Yeah, and then it cuts to them walking through the compound. And the way it's shot, it looks like there could be like a little ridge line behind them. You don't really think anything of it. Yeah. And then the camera pans up and you get that fabulous well, yeah, they, shot. They they come out of the, the Sangha yeah. um, the morning after. They stumble out and it, we get this really nice close-up of uh, Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood, Scott Eastwood's face. Yeah, he, um, his character's called Clint, isn't it? Clint Ramesha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then you get that beautiful panning shot, don't you? you it, oh, it sort of like spins around the, the valley. And you and it just pans up a little, and you see the the peaks of these, I, I guess mountains you could call yeah. them. They're very steep hills, but yeah, yeah. these ridge lines and mountains above, and you just think, damn, the sense of claustrophobia that gives off. Mm. And and then you later on in the film, and we're jumping ahead, but it, it makes sense later on in the film. They patrol up on the ridge line, the, the American yes. soldiers, and and Clint gives his sorry Scott Clint gives his. Um, run down his playbook of how he would take out mm-hmm. the base and you just see how isolated they are and there's a picture up on the wikipedia of keating but it's shot for shot mm-hmm. it's almost shot for shot and it, yeah. it's just it's mind-boggling how these and that's these great that's a did. great establishing shot because it's showing you the layout of the compound it's showing you the mortar pit because he literally goes i take out the mortar pit and then I take out the ammo dump, and then I take out the CP. Take out the and L- just shows L- masses, all yeah. the major points that you're going to see in the firefight that makes up the third act. Yeah. So it's, it's that's really good sort of foreshadowing, um, expositional cinema making, uh, filmmaking, yeah. rather. And then you know we should also say that it isn't just a, a straight action film. There is a lot. So mm. I I I, I timestamps it here. The actual action, the battle itself, starts at the 55 minute mark, roughly. Yeah. And the hour, the movie's about two hours long, but you get this beautiful hour where you're just learning who everyone is, how it works, that the situation, how the the American infantry or the American unit there are trying to build relationships with the local Af- Afghani yeah. people, um, and the, the sort of how that is escalating, and they don't know if they're the enemy or not. Um, and then you get the the little sort of, I'd say it's like dark humor where the the C the CO gets changed. So unfortunately, um, Keating, played by Orlando Bloom, he is killed in a freak um, vehicle accident. Um, they've got this big truck called the Beast, and it unfortunately falls off one of the ridge lines, and it it unfortunately kills the men on board. Um, and then after that, you get a new CEO who is mm-hmm. scared of going out. He he we he pees in the bottles and yeah. So you got Milo Gibson first, who that scene is so interesting when he he is actually killed. He's blown up by an IED, isn't he, on the bridge? Yeah, he is. Uh, they're crossing a bridge, and there's a really great bit where the Afghan um, interpreter that is with the patrol is is listening into local um, radio chatter. Chatter. And he says yeah. they're talking about something about scarves, and he, he doesn't know the the local dialect. Milo Gibson's character, and what's his name? Cass Ulysses Cass. We're probably butchering that. Sorry. Yeah, and he's like Jesus. We don't, he doesn't even speak the local dialect, mm. and. I was reading somewhere that the scarves that they're talking about is the uh, the scarf that he's wearing. Oh. So it's the Taliban saying he's the officer. When he gets to the IED, that's when you should set it off. Oh, God. Yeah. 
wow. which didn't initially click with me on my first watch, but I saw some mention of it online. And then when I watched the film again, I was like, that mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that adds a lot of weight to that scene now. I, If you hadn't have said that, I would have thought it was a, just an unfortunate event. It's very clever. Wow. Um, it, it easily missed. Gosh. So the film breaks up sort of sections into the commanders. So it starts with yep. Keating. Um, then there's um, Broward, who is the the, the the CEO that's an Iraq veteran. That's it. And he, he, he won't leave the CP and he's peeing in bottles and making yeah. the men take and him out to the And he's very down the line, isn't he? You, have, you see a weapon, then you can you know, remember the rules yeah. of engagement. He's very much by the numbers. Exactly. He doesn't want to take any chances. No. He wants, just wants to go home. But yet in um, his own way, I'm not sure if what happened actually happened or if it's narrative. I haven't had time to, to read um, Jake's book, I'm afraid. Um, answering one of the patient questions earlier there. Um, but the, a dog bites one of the local Afghan, I think, what, leaders or... Like, yeah, one of the local tribal elders. Local tribal elders, yeah. He gets bitten and he, he sort of thinks it's a bad omen. The, the CEO just comes out and shoots the dog in the head. And then it sort of, there's a shift in the soundtrack there. There's a little, everyone's looking at each other and it's like, okay, n- now it's more serious. You know, it, it Well, it kind of slips, doesn't it? So mm. Keating is shown as this very capable officer, knows a little bit of uh, Pashtu, is speaking to the tribal elders. He knows what to say. Um, don't make me fight you. Work with me. Yeah. Um, so we should quickly add that Orlando Bloomy is, money in this really selling his character yeah he he makes you he makes you um like the character he's got that cheeky cheeky vibe going on as well yeah 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 and he's playing this very capable likable affable troop commander Mm. and the scale sort of slides on the you know the capabilities of these commanding officers so bloom's very capable gibson's character is capable but thrown in the deep end you know he's doing the right thing and then you've got Captain Broward, who is played by Kwame Patterson. Mm-hmm. And he's he's obviously, as we've said, he's the Iraq veteran who's taking it very by the book and doesn't yep. want to take any risks. Um, and the situation deteriorates. It's just to show the diff- the, how command is perceived by different men, I think, mm. as well. and it's Different styles. Yeah, and that must come from using Ty's own um, recollections and, and memoirs of the event. So maybe, you know, that's how the guy was, I assume. Well, yeah, he's he shown taking those balls of piss out of the CP, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? Like day after day. And he's just like, are you serious? Are you yeah. kidding me? Uh, and then we end up with the second in command, Lieutenant Andrew Bunderman, who is sort of like the junior um, uh, mm. junior officer to everyone from yeah. Keating downwards. And he's so just he's, thrown in. He's thrown into the... Yeah, he yeah. is. And he's by, uh, played by Taylor John Smith. It just shows that it sort of just goes to hell in a handbasket slowly. Yeah. And that base has no reason to be there. And they know that, but they yeah. can't close it down. Even in the actual official US Army report, they they, they pretty much said, didn't they? It's got no strategic or tactical value. It's incredible, isn't it? It's supposed to be like an outreach post where they do hearts and minds and a little bit of counterinsurgency. They're in that much of a precarious position. They end up just literally just defending the outpost. That's their main task. I know we're going to get into the action in favourite scenes and in the alley tally, so I think we should move on to the alley tally this week. It's time for alley tally on fighting on film. You're the firearms expert, Matt, so I think you should go first. 
there's lots in this film. There's some really interesting stuff, actually, and it's not all like what you would expect. So my favourite kit from the film is the copious amount of M240 machine gun action there is. Heck ton, isn't there? There is a hell of a lot in there. Yeah. It's great to see because a lot of films, it's just M4s and M249s. Like the, the M249s, the light machine gun, the the 5.56 light machine gun, and then yep. the M240, is the it's the FN mag, it's the general purpose machine gun that most NATO powers adopted mm. in some shape or form. And the M240s in this movie are really interesting because they're all mounted on either pedestal mounts, either in the mortar pit or one of the LRAS positions, or they're running around firing them from bipods. So there's loads of great action in there. I can't let you continue without um, saying that the mortar pit is by the mortar crew is called Mortaritaville. Mm-hmm. And I think that's possibly the greatest name for a mortar emplacement that I have ever heard. Um, but Matt continues, just wanted to get that in there quick. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, there's a there's a 120 millimeter mortar pit, and yep. one of one of the uh, the M240 positions is in there. And when the battle kicks off, they all run to the pit to try and get the, the mortars up, but then they they can't because the Taliban have scoped out Camp Keating for months. They know yep. exactly where everything is. There's even a great little scene where one of the guys is grabbed taking photographs inside the camp. That's it. Yeah, that's when it starts to turn, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the Taliban, they know where everything is and that mortar pit is under heavy machine gun and RPG fire and it's just, you just they just can't get that mortar in action. You, because you, If you seek out the actual footage that the Taliban shot themselves during the, the battle on, on October 3rd, you know, you can see the, the isolation and you can see them, you know, aiming their recoilless rifles and their RPGs at, mm-hmm. you know, LRAS 2 and the mortar pits. So Yeah, well, the mortar is shown, you know, from the beginning of the film onwards, this sort of sporadic bits where the camp is attacked. And the report that you mentioned earlier, Rob, mentions that they were attacked like 47 times in five months. Yeah. So they're being attacked like what, once a month, once Something a week like, rather. Yeah, once a week, yeah. Something like that. And it, it's kind of shown in the movie, there's a little bit of time compressing where it seems like they're almost being attacked every day. Um, but the mortar is shown as being their main way of hitting the enemy at range yeah. at a certain position within the valley that they can't reach with small arms. Because as, as Orlando Bloom says, you know, hit him with Willie Pete, give him some phosphorus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's their heavy weapon, isn't it? And yeah, as you say, you know, it is nice to see those fixed. I mean, everyone loves a fixed MG. Um, and you get some really nice shots of lads blasting away with MGs. And it's it's also refreshing just to see the Americanized version of a, european weapon that we all sort of know the the look of yeah yeah that um, they have that that sort of uh, characteristic handguard that's sort of like a clamshell got that shroud yeah yeah that's and there's a scene you... where it's like hanging off on one of them which is yeah, cool. it's good it it's good. really interesting to see obviously because it was such a pivotal part of what uh tyler carter did during the battle yep he was an ammunition runner and it's really interesting to see that sort of logistical side of things you know yeah, exactly. they're running ammunition to the various places and at one point LRAS 2 which has 50 caliber browning in in the in the actual Humvee and an up armored Hummer yeah yeah and then the 240 is sort of on a pintle mount outside the vehicle sandbagged the 240 goes down because it's it's hit by small arms fire and then the 50 cal goes down hit by what looks like an RPG round it's hit by an yeah. RPG yeah I think from what I've read it I think it was hit like pretty much front on Carter played by Landry Jones is he's running ammunition to them and he's bringing them ammunition. But by the time the ammunition arrives, he's brought them 50 cal 
when the 240 needed 762. And yeah. when he comes back with 762 and 50 cal, they don't need both of the weapons are down. So they don't need it. He's stuck in there. And what they all really need is 556. Five, yeah. And because he, they go, have you got any 56? And they, and he goes, yeah, he goes, and he throws them some mags out of his own yeah, yeah. chess rig. But that, that scene you mentioned where Ty is running with the ammunition, that harkens back to the start of the movie and it comes full circle because at the start mm-hmm. of the film, there's a small firefight, but he just takes too long. Yeah, the firefight's over by the time he gets yeah, back. Yeah, firefight's over and then, and then he gets to he gets chewed out by his, um, by his CO. Um, yeah, by Larson, who's who's played by Henry Hughes, who is, you know, yeah veteran of Cam Keating, which is, and he's really good. Yeah. We're off a bit of a side tangent, but, no, but it's Henry right, Hughes but... is really good. Mm. He's a great actor in this. Yeah, Very and, believable. And I think that's what, and as we said before, movies like, you know, There's Is and things like that with the actual guys in it, they always just have something more. They have something more to give because you, mm. you're not just getting men who've read a script or gone to a boot camp. These men have done it for a job. You get to see that on screen and, and you it just adds another layer of authenticity to the film. So my other pick, um, there's, there's a few things I'm probably going to mention as we go on, but there's, there's one of my favourite things in not just a, an alley sort of aspect, but also mm-hmm. a cinematography aspect yep. is the use of the ACOG sights on all the rifles. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, the reticle's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we get this use. It's, it's a great, it's a classic um, war movie sort of technique True. of yep. um, down the sights. And we get lots of these little um, intercut bits where one of the characters brings up his rifle and he looks through the the ACOG, which is a, a, a telescopic optic, if you don't know what an ACOG is, um, made by Chichicom. It's one of the classics and it's going to be forever sort of synonymous with the, the war on terror. Duty or anything like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. You know if what you play, it looks if you play like, any yeah. of those games, you'll have seen one. Um, but yeah, they bring up their, their rifles and they're looking through these and it brings the Taliban to you mm. so you can see the enemy positions. And it's yeah. a really nice thing because up until that point, they're just like little flashes nice on the ridge line. Yeah. And a little bits of smoke and dust. And then obviously you see the fight, like when it, when it arrives, yeah. but you know, you don't see where it's coming from so much, but the, the use of the, the, the through the sights um, cinematography and these shots sort of brings the enemy to you and you can see, what the soldiers see which mm. i like a lot and they use it really really well it's very effective i thought no it is, but it's on it's... almost all the m4s which is basically the, the ubiquitous weapon of the movie isn't it yeah it is you know every, everyone seems armed with one I and mean, i was going to ask you a quick question and i don't know if you can answer off the cuff matt sorry to put you on the spot but is there a reason why there's no m16 like a is it a2s now or a, is there a reason for that or yeah, um, well, they'd, they'd been sort of um, they replaced by M4A1s by this point. Mm. Um, so the Marine Corps held on to them a little bit longer because they liked the extra barrel length. Sure. Um, but by this point in, in the war, it was it was predominantly M4A1s. Okay. Yeah, so everyone seems to be armed with one in the movie pretty much. Um, uh, Clint Ramesh's one has a, a, a little laser guide on it. Um, some lads have uh, forward grips, some don't. You know, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of level of per- of like personal choice there with some of the. Yeah, weapons. the only the only time I saw one of those PEC fifteens, um, the laser, yeah, module you mentioned being used is Landry Jones when he looks down at Orlando yes. Bloom. Yes, that's a nice and the green laser through the mm. night sky. It's really nice use of that. But for me, I mean, it, it sort of goes in with M4 chat. 
Um, what my first alley pick is one. I think it's really, really respectful and commendable. The movie chooses and does quite rightly portray the two um, Latvian operational mentor li- mentor liaison team members. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it is a bit. <laughs> um, one of the character is called. Um, who you see in the movie, there was two chaps, but the one he played by Alexander Alexiev, and he's he portrays uh, Latvian Army First Sergeant Yanis Latkis. And it's a great little sequence. They introduce him, and he's training up the Afghan um, Army uh, regulars, a bit of extra firepower for the base. And he's introduced, and they make sort of like a little joke about him, that something about suck. Uh, yeah, embrace little, the suck. Yeah, yeah and like, Milo Gibson says embrace the suck, and he doesn't know what the hell I mean. the suck? You know, like, it's really funny. And you think, oh, okay, that's your little that uh, that's your inclusion there. Might not see him again because I thought when the action started, I was like, I wonder what happened to the Latvian chap. Mm. He ends up with uh, Ramesha as they start to retake the compound later on in that sequence. Yeah. But he he's with him covering a, um, a, a like a it's like by the front gate, isn't it? The where front where gate. some some Taliban dressed as ANA come in. That's it. Yeah, and they're, but they're acting like so. Clint looks at him through his. Is sights and goes. Oh, they're acting great like, use of that ACOG. Yeah, yeah, they're acting like the the battle's already won. They're wearing captured helmets, and you know one of them's got like a backpack full of RPG rounds. Mm-hmm. And and Clint opens up on them with his M4, and they rush back behind the Humvee. And he says, you know, hit him with the hit him with the two hundred three. So that yeah, the Latvian soldier just. It's the only time you ever see a 203 used in the film. but it's a- Yeah, and Ramesha has one. He had one on his rifle, so he could have done it, but I guess he just wanted the Latvian guys to have it. A- it's a crack shot. And I read a, a great article today. Um, you can find it on the Wikipedia about the Latvian soldiers, and they met back up with their with their American counterparts from the battle, and it's just really nice to see it. Um, so I really think that was great representation. I, he did win a, um, a Latvian gallantry award, didn't he, as well? Yeah, oh god, we should mention I've written it down. We should mention all the awards that were awarded. This battle had 27 Purple Hearts awarded, 37 Army Commendation Medals, three bronze stars, nine silver stars, two DSCs, and two Medal of Honors. Which makes um the it's Bravo Troop 3rd Squadron 61st Cavalry. Right. Which makes them the most decorated unit of, of the war in Afghanistan. It's absolutely incredible you really get a sense of <laughs> how they earned them. Um, so my second alley pick is... Before before we jump Sorry. off, um, I, I wondered, it's quite interesting that the Latvian um, guys don't have G36s. I wonder why you they You said didn't. that. Yeah, yeah, you met in the WhatsApp. I did try... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You can look up to see if um, see the reason, but I, I guess either the Bulgarian film unit didn't have one available mm. or in reality, those guys that were embedded just swapped out for M4s. Yeah, possibly. Because you'll use it, you know, you'd use the weapon that you have the most. I mean, are the mags interchangeable on it? No. Oh, uh, maybe that's not. So maybe I think the Latvian G36 is used the proprietary HK mags. So that would make complete sense that they would just be using M4s. Mm, especially where you yeah. are. But it might be tough. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was a great spot, Matt. Um, I mean, apparently he's wearing Chinese camo because the, the Latvian camouflage yeah, is hard to find. Yeah, apparently it's hard to come by. I yeah. did read that too. Yeah. It's interesting. interesting, isn't it? We use the same websites. Like Ch- yeah, Chinese <laughs> digital camera. We really should speak about these things before the show. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Keep it in. Um, so yeah, my, my second alley pick is, I just like the character of Rodriguez because I think playing yourself is ballsy. It's cool, isn't it? It's interesting. And especially in a battle that you, you've only fought, well, it's 11 years ago now, but mm-hmm. still very fresh. I think probably fresh in the memory. But he... Plays it, you know, plays himself with ease. It's a silly thing to say. Well, it must be hard to get back into that sort of role and mindset, mustn't it? Exactly, and I think he does a, a fantastic job, and he gets his moment. Um, he gets a few moments actually, but um, I like the part where the action's just started, and uh, Rodriguez, he's wearing a t-shirt, he's got his chest rig on, he's got army athletic shorts on, and his boots and and, it, and a helmet. So they're all caught off guard. A lot of the lads you see yeah. running around with shorts. And it's early morning, isn't it? When the, yeah. when the attack starts, everyone's either gone for a run or they're just you know they're going to the, get washed or something. Yeah. So he opens the door of of the little billet that he's in, and he lo- he cocks an M9 Beretta and he says, "Just another fucking day in Afghanistan," and he starts <laughs> running to to Mortaritaville. I was sitting there thinking, he grabbed the pistol. He's got a pistol, and I think well, mm-hmm. it might be the only thing he had on him at the time. Yeah, but it's sort of that. I think it's that brain moment. Your your brain goes into gear. You think it might not be an M4, it might not be a a Marduce or or a you know a cannon, but it's something to shoot back with. Mm-hmm. And it's just some just great scenes of him blatting away with this M9. Um, yeah, trying to get yeah. to Rotorville, and it's just I just love yeah, it. Yeah, because he gets to the pit, doesn't he? And he's sort of like he's shouting for uh, Thompson, I think it is, and he like he empties a mag out, and then he he, he spots it, yeah. Thompson. And then he gets on the, the the MG and starts giving. Um, yeah, that's a great scene because he, he sort of pulls off that tarp. Yeah, and he that's just opens it. up on the ridge line. It's great. But he, you know, he he does his best to try and get him in, and then you get Rodriguez is covered with with dirt and stuff, and he gets pulled. I think back it in. is Thompson. Yeah, it's Thompson. Thompson's, it? the, okay. Thompson's the first person that's called out over the radio as KIA. That must have been a hard thing to recreate. Yeah, exactly, and it's done so well, and it's another layer of authenticity, another layer mm. of realism. I think Rodriguez absolutely smashes it, really. Jumping off briefly on um, M9 uh, banter, I think shout out to uh, Orlando Bloom's M9 in his chest rig. Oh, that is nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did notice that. I was like, he's the only guy that, that seems to have that set up. And he gets a really cool sort of action movie quip where he's trying to settle all the lads down for a briefing and he taps his captain's... Oh, his bars, yeah. His bars, and he goes, is this thing on? Can you hear me, guys? Is this thing on? I just—it's a great little line. 
brilliant little line. Yeah, that's, that that reminded me a lot of um, Black Hawk Down. Some of the yeah, sort of bit. the moments in in the hangar where they're like doing a briefing and stuff. Yeah, the digital camo is nice to see. Yeah, I was about to mention that the um, this the, is a long alley tally. <laughs> the universal camouflage pattern, the UCP, really nice. sort of so interesting because it sort of captures that period of the war. Now it's a twenty-year war, starting two thousand and one. Yeah. People yeah. joke that it's the forever war, and Jesus, it might as well be. I mean, it's all in our lifetime um, as well. I think exactly. we forget that. It, it's an insanely long conflict. It's probably the mm. longest that the, the US and most of the ISAF partners have been involved in ever. Yep. Um, but it sort of captures this this period of the war, a lot like, uh, I guess, sort of it, the way that uniforms from World War II became synonymous and Vietnam became synonymous, mm-hmm. you know, those... Um, those those jackets that they wore and and the, the helmet covers and yes, yeah, like you think of Vietnam, you think of a third pattern jacket, you think of D Day, yeah. you think of like an American M forty one jacket or something. Yeah, forty ones. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, so that UCP that got replaced in about I think it was two thousand fifteen started phasing out for the for the the um, the operational camouflage pattern that's used now. So yeah, it's it that that is really interesting because it becomes sort of synonymous with that phase, mm. and as soon as you see that on screen, you think, okay, this is like mid two thousands Afghanistan. Yeah. It's interesting because the film is just in two thousand and nine. I think my brain mm. can't comprehend something like this happened in right. my lifetime. It's just it's incredible. Well, I remember when this happened. Do you remember it? No, I was. I'll admit to the listeners, I was in a bit of a wilderness years in oh nine. I was. I think it was about 15. I remember I it being just... mentioned online and in the news. And I remember seeing some of the photographs that came out of it, of, you know, mm. the guy shooting up into the hills and being really struck yeah. by, by that. I think at the time I was just following Luton Town very rigidly <laughs> and I don't think I deviated for a bit. There's no Bedford in this, but there is the uh, there's the truck. No, there isn't. I thought that I thought the beast was a Bedford M5 for a bit and it's not. It's an LMTV, yeah. I think that wraps up the alley tally for this week. So we're on to fave scenes. Now, there's an absolute smorgasbord of fantastic sequences. Matt, what did you pick this week? There's a lot in it. I, I liked a lot of the scenes with the guys where they're, you know, there's a lot of banter. And soldier banter is difficult to get right. Not I'm not a soldier, mm. never been in that position, but you know when it's wrong because it feels weirdly forced in movies. So movies that haven't got any input from actual soldiers or haven't done their due diligence to sort of root out what they want soldiers to be saying in scenes that aren't combat you can definitely sort of pinpoint they don't that doesn't sound right but in this you you get that feel you get the vibe Mm. and there's a lot Mm. of scenes where there's there's a great one where one of the guys um photograph of his wife is going around the barracks and they're all jacking off (laughs) over it and he pulls one guy out and he 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 makes him drop him and do and do push-ups and apologize to the photograph and he's like, sorry, missus. Yeah. And then he starts, he's like, like kisses the photograph at one point. And the guy is absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of really interesting stuff, you know. There's a little bit of light hazing where like two guys during the during the one of the evening. They're hugging each other up. Yeah. Exactly they're hugging each other, telling each other they love each other. I think Eastwood describes it as frat sort of humor. Yeah, yeah. At some point when he's talking to, to Carter. Ty mentions, yeah, the 
can't really hack it. But yeah, I mean, I, I like all that banter. It's really, it rings true. You know, you get the, the guys, Ty and, his, and Mace is doing the um, the latrines mm-hmm. and he's just like, this shit gives you cancer, man. You know, he's like proper like hamming it up, you know. This shit gives you cancer. Yeah, this is our generation's ancient orange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like proper like squaddy humor, mm-hmm. but it's just it's just great. And um, the, the mise en scène, the, yeah. the the set dressing as well that that, that comes in, in in those phases It goes a long way to setting up the f- yeah. you know you caring about the, the characters. Is it Bunderman comes and he gives Ramesh a, a can of Dr Pepper to have with with a yeah. cigarette. Sitting around there's, the camp, know, there's like, little bits where they've got like a one of the lady tennis players pair of panties <laughs> yeah, in, the, in yeah. the medical tent. The bit where like they're waterboarding one another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it's just, but you that's you know you see it. Yeah, you hear yeah, tales of it. You know, I've, I've, it I've had friends who it adds. Yeah, I've had friends who, who served out in um in in Ireland and things with the British Army, and they're like you know you kind of obsess over a Mars bar mm-hmm. and things like that. You get really you obsessed. The, the, the little things because mm-hmm. it gets you through and it, it really makes sense oh there's an i think one of the afghan soldiers comes in and it gives one of the characters a pack of smokes and he goes these aren't camel lights yeah yeah <laughs> it's just lovely little dialogue work i really like it it's very good so that so some of those scenes really stand out to me some of my favorite scenes from the battle sequence are that rpg hit on the the 50 caliber at lras 2 is really well done that overhead shot where the, the round comes in, there's an explosion, it knocks the gun out. I think it's Larson that's in the turret. I think so. And the camera sort of pans upwards into like almost horizontal as he goes back down through the hatch. Just a really beautiful shot. Yeah, and you feel every hit. There's a yeah. there's a few shots like that that are really well done. The 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 scene in the Shurad hut where they're meeting with the elders for the first time, it sort of does that exact same sort of panning. Uh, overhead yeah. shot through the, see now, through the see hole now in the you've roof. Said it. I think that's showing the isolation of Keating mm-hmm. with camera work, but just alluding to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely sort of that. that um, it's essentially the view that the Taliban had looking down on that's the camp, it. isn't it? That's it, yeah. That's one of my favourite scenes. Another is where they, they start the fight back. So one of the things that Ramesh was, ordered, uh, was awarded the Medal of Honour for was uh, leading that f- that fight back to retake the front gate and and, and mm-hmm. break out of the the Alamo positions that they've fallen back on, and there's a great little sequence where they they get a, a two forty up, and they're covering a, a ridge line, and they're trying to take the main gate exactly, and the Taliban are yeah. within like 10, 15 feet at this point, which, mm. when you think about it, for for Afghanistan, which is a war that is known for. Um, insurgency and hit and run tactics at very long ranges. Mm. That's probably one of the closest engagements of the war. It has to be. Yeah. Mm. You see, you see in all the news reports and things of our lads out there, um, you know, they're engaging at really long distances. Yeah, yeah. Usually there's, from... there's a couple in like 06 where they, they come like quite close. Yeah. But for the yeah. most part, like 07 onwards, it's, as you say, it's like long range stuff. Yeah. So a guy but arrives on a, on a, on a scrambler bike and takes a couple of pot shots and then it disappears. Yeah. Exactly. That's like the patrol, mm. like in the movie, the patrol, that's how they engage um, the, the enemy in that one. But yeah, and I know the exact, the scene you're talking about, it's, it, it's very, that's when it sort of veers a little bit into action movie territory, but I think it's. Yeah. Yeah. For, it, there's the bit that I like is the bit where they drop a couple of grenades out yep. and it's just a very dynamic scene, but you're right. 
after that little bit, there's a couple little bit that's that become a yeah, little action movie-ish. Straight after the the, de- the dust and the debris from those two grenades has gone off, um, Eastwood says to the guy on the MG, he goes, right, we take the gate, we take the base back, mm. or we take the base back and we take the gate. And he goes off and the gunner looks at the camera, doesn't look at the camera, but looks at Ramesh as he's walking away, goes, gotta love the pressure, bro. <laughs> you know, but there is, but the thing is, there is space for that humour because you can believe in all this madness of the firefight and the scale of the battle that men would talk to each other like that in that sense. So it, it's, it's merited, I think, as well. It's a lot of um, Eastwood's character that's doing it, though. So yeah, he has so. a couple of other yeah. lines where it's uh, like, not I mean, today. Clint Eastwood, you can't. Yeah, he is an Eastwood. <laughs> he's got to have some lines. Rub off on you. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, there's this, a bit where the camera sort of zooms into his face for a close-up and he's like, we're taking back this outpost. If it wasn't said, it's for the trailer anyway, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the most tropey part, while we're, while we're just covering a couple of these little criticisms, is the bit where they've taken the gate back, um, but there's another wave of Taliban coming in. Mm-hmm. And he literally says, there's too many of them. Fair enough, there is a lot of them. They're, I think they're attacked they are, by about they 300. Swarming they're swarming ridge. over that ridge line. And, you know, he flicks his safety off on his M4. And he, he's just about to open fire when I think a couple of, a couple of rockets from a, an Apache mm-hmm. hit, the, hit that ridge line. And he sort of stops and he looks at his M4. Yeah, he does that. <laughs> yeah, he almost it's almost like the American Psycho moment where Christian Bell looks at his pistol and when he blows up those police cars. It's that sort of thing. You know, if it was a lesser film, yeah. these moments would would piss you off more. Going into my fave scene, and that as Matt did, and, and I probably will do. There's just so much to talk about in the movie that is good for me. It's Ty's Medal of Honor action, or what leads up to his Medal of Honor actions. So they're all in by the point in the movie where Ty's story is fully shown. They're in now, Rast 2. The gun's been taken out. I think it's four men in there, or five men in there. Yeah, five. I think it's five men yeah. in there. So Mace, I could forget all the guys' names, but they initially say, right, Mace says, right, we'll go this way. Another fella goes, we'll go the other way. You and Ty, Ty, and I can't remember the chap's name. Really, really sorry. Um, they get out and give covering fire and you see Maze and his buddy run in one direction, an RPG hits, and then you see Mace fire, um, shoot forward with his M4 and then get hit himself. And Ty, obviously, in that moment, you sort of feel his emotional weight starts to come through. You know, he starts to feel something different because up to this point, all the men have said, oh, you're, you're he doesn't interact with being quite the loner, isn't he? Yeah, bit a little bit of a loner. Yeah, mm. a little bit. Yeah, and I think in documentaries that I watched about Ty, he would admit he would have admitted that himself. Mm. Daniel Rodriguez says there's a there's a great Netflix episode um, in the Medal of Honor series about Ty, and he says you know he never really interacted with us. I think he wasn't like one of the guys. Mace is injured, and Ty's really shook up by this. I think it really gets to him, and then Mace starts crawling towards the Hummer. I love the sequence, one because it's. I think it's really well done and it's really good that it's immortalised what the, the man did. Mm-hmm. But two, those scenes in, in LRS2, they feel like a mini movie because of the way that they're shot, because they have to be inside the Hummer. Yeah. They feel completely disjointed from the action, but it makes perfect sense because those guys were disjointed because they had no radio contact until Ty picked up a radio when he rescued Well, yeah, by mates. that point, the Taliban were inside the wire. Yeah, exactly. So they, so they can't... Yeah, so you feel really claustrophobic. 
but it's just Ty getting out and Ty building up the courage to save his friend or save his comrade um, that really got me. Caleb's performance is really, really good. I hope that he is nominated for something from this film. Ty goes to get his friend. He puts a tourniquet on a you know, research so that the actual action is pretty much verbatim what happened, I think. Seems so. From I watched a, a press conference he did when he was awarded the medal, and he does talk about you know that feeling of helplessness, of mm. seeing Mace, sort of trying to drag himself towards the Humvee, and knowing that he can't get out there and, and get him. And he knows that Larson is making complete sense when he says, "Don't go out there." And then yeah, and he goes out there and he he brings Mace back. He <laughs> puts him on his shoulders to get him back to the the, the Elras. And he picks up a radio in that split moment, which helps them get back yeah. with Mace as well. And it, in it, it, I don't know how long it took in in real time, but it feels pretty much real time. And you get that lovely little bit of dialogue where he goes, you're not dying of a gunshot wound. You're not dying of this. You're going to die of cancer. You're going to die of old age and cancer. Like, you know, you're going to get back. And it's it just that little callback of them having that little moment together beforehand. And then you get my favourite shot sequence in the movie of of Ty carrying the stretcher to 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 Elras to get Mace back. Um, and you get another bit of great dialogue where Mace is like, "Yeah, they go, you're gonna be okay, Mace. You're gonna be fine." And he goes, "Has anyone got any cigarettes?" Like, and that's apparently the only thing that he wanted during that time. And then you know you get the emotional weight of hit of will Mace pull through or not? Yeah. And I think that that's another reason. I've said it all the way through. I don't care. I'll say it again. But that's another reason why the movie is different to modern war films because real guys, real events. And it hits super hard when they're on the chopper out and they find out. And they're all giving him his blood and, you know, Bunderman breaks down Captain Portis when he comes with the relief force. And he's like, you know, he's got all our blood in him and he's just, he he pulled through. Yeah. And he starts to break down. He says, not the time. So he goes, this is the time. Mm -hmm. And it has that emotional weight and it's, yeah. I mean, that was my favourite scene and favourite sequences, I guess. Yeah, it's a great scene. And it does have that weight. And it, as I said, it, it hits super hard when the news comes through that Mace didn't make it. Yeah. And you can yeah, see... it really does. You can see that emotion. I really hope that Ty was involved with either casting Caleb or m- mentoring him on set because it's it's a really great performance in a, in a war film or it's just not in a film. Mm. He really brings a lot of weight to the character. Another great scene, a little bit lighter than the previous. No problem. Is um, yeah, cheer us up a bit. I is a bit. where the Afghan interpreter <laughs> yeah. comes into the CP, and he says the Taliban's are coming on us, and uh, the guys in the CP are, are, are basically laughing. Mm. Um, uh, and he's like, "Are they going to come on us all at once, or are they going to line up and come on us?" <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's great banter. Yeah, it's um, great. But he follows that up. the Af- The Afghan interpreter says something really interesting. He's really frustrated because he can't get across what he means, and he says that the British invaded us. They underestimated us. They were destroyed. The Russians underestimated us. They were destroyed. I don't want to see you make the same mistakes. Yeah, which is has a lot of sort of foreshadowing, and it's a but then he <laughs> very funny scene, gives, but it's it, it yeah. has a very interesting bit of exposition to it as well. But he gets bollocked, doesn't he, by the by the American guy he says that to? For being, like, we don't want a fucking history lesson. Yeah, man. he's crying wolf. <laughs> We're not here for that. Yeah, you're crying wolf. Yeah, and he's like, I'll believe 
Because oh, what do you think? Do you think he's he's real? Do you think he's full of shit? You know, like when he leaves and he goes, well, I'll believe it's true when he's running and hiding, and he he does, he does run and he hide before the like battle happens. The toilet, yeah. He? yeah, they find him right at the end, yeah. and they sort of give knowing looks, don't they? Final thoughts, Matt. Well, it's it's as you said at the beginning. It, I think it. I think it could well be a modern classic. Um, yeah. Of the genre, I, I'm sticking by that. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree. I was struck by it. I didn't. I I knew you said it was good when when we discussed it in that show and tell episode a few months ago. So I've been looking forward to it, and I I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't realize that it was quite so effective. Um, mm. It does an excellent job of setting up the situation. So, as you said, it get, gives us all that mise en scene and the, the feel of the guys. Um, but then, it's it's so well paced. It's it nails dialogue. There's great attention to detail. The weapons are correct. The tactics yeah. are relatively correct. It's really well shot. Really well edited. Brilliant cinematography good cast yeah excellent action well choreographed and it captures a real event and it does it justice so yeah. it's super interesting in that respect but in sort of it's a last stand movie and another one we discuss these you know a lot on the pod but there's a lot of parallels with zulu did you notice any not now you mention it yes but not during so when watching. you think about it it's a cut-off force uh they know the enemy's coming inexperienced junior officer is commanding okay um it's a last stand perimeter perimeter defense the enemy are attacking in overwhelming numbers and they break inside the perimeter at some points so there's yeah okay there's lots of little yeah. i mean in this it's a complete tangent, but it's just something no, that occurred to me mean. while I, I was know, watching. I do know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it has those beats. Mm. Definitely. But yeah, that's just something I noticed. But as I said, I think it's a really strong movie. And yeah, it combines a lot of solid elements to create something that's possibly a modern classic. I think it is going to be a modern classic. I think it will be heralded. You know, Looking at the reviews, it'll be interesting to see what Sony's effort will turn out like. Because you know they they've bought the rights to Ramesh's book mm-hmm. um, uh, called Red Platoon that was released in 2016. So it'll be interesting to know how that turns out because I know the two studios were battling each other. Who would what one would come out first, the Outpost or or Sony's? Yeah, yeah. I hope it's still in production. I I would be really interested to see. I would welcome another movie on this because it's very interesting. Yeah, perhaps from another point of view. Solid film, paced really well, easy to watch. It's on Prime UK now. Um, I would strongly recommend that at the end of the movie, you get your credits and then it goes into the real guys talking about what happened. And then the men on set, or I assume they're on set or at a barracks talking about being on the movie. And it just adds that, that extra sort of that extra weight to it at the end. You think, Oh gosh, you know, this actually happened. And I think it, that's when a war movie is doing a better job than just, being a war movie it's actually showing it's like theirs is it's like i'm gonna say it again it you know 
it's documenting something that actually happened and it's going out of its way to show the audience yet again that it actually happened. And that does right by those men who survived and fought and unfortunately suffer with PTSD or post-traumatic stress to this day. It does right by them. And because it does right by them, I think that also makes it a very good film, not just from a production point of view, but from a, it's got a lot of heart to it. Yeah. The only criticism, the only thing of note really is that it, the timeline compress on it is quite something. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. Because Keating obviously died in 2006. So he did, he died three years earlier, but it it's sort of, it's necessary to the story to sort of give that context. That's why Keating's called Keating. And... But that's not a real criticism. And that is something that films have to do when they're retelling events. So this week we put out a shout on our Patreon, letting our patrons know that we were recording today. And we asked them if they had any questions that they'd like to ask us about the film or otherwise. So firstly, we have Ken Campbell. Um, you might, might see him on the Twitter. Uh, he says, have either of you read Ramesh's book, Red Platoon? While the movie, I believe, was mostly based on tappers, I found it an insightful and moving read. I haven't. And I haven't read um, Tapper's book either. I didn't get enough time, I'm afraid. So that's one of the one of the shortcomings of, of the pod is that if we're covering um, something that's based on a book or we don't always have the time, if we haven't already read it, to read it. This is the, the brilliant thing about war movies is that they capture your imagination and make you want to go away and read it. So I now yeah, I know exactly. that there are two books that I can go away and read. Um, mm, one, yeah. bit, one written by one of the guys that was there and one written uh, you know, by a fairly well-reputed journalist. So I, yeah. so I haven't read them, but I think I will be. Mm. I, you know, I didn't get the, unfortunately I mentioned earlier, I didn't get the opportunity to read either, but I know that they must, you know, they must be great reads because they make a great, they've made a great film. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next question. So it was David Patterson, our, our great supporter. I think of the outpost as an anti midway movie in midway. The film tries to tell the whole story mm. of the Pacific war up to the battle of midway, perhaps because it cannot count on the audience knowing the history. With the outpost, we are dropped literally onto the besieged COP with almost no backstory on why it's there and what's going on around it. Assuming the general public knows enough about Afghanistan not to need a lot of exposition, would the outpost succeed if you knew nothing about the war there? Does it matter? I think there's enough exposition for anyone going into it blind. Yeah, there's, just, there's enough. just enough. Yeah. But I think it would do just as well. It's a, as I mentioned, it's, it's a Last Stand movie. And mm. people instinctively know what's going on with the last stand movie i mean i think it it matters in a in a sense to this movie because it's portraying real events but if it was just a narrative piece mm. and it was as good as it was then i think maybe knowing any more about it would be too much mm. sometimes movies can stuff in too much lore or too much world building in a small amount of time and it like that can't sometimes doesn't pay off yeah if you don't handle exposition with a with a light touch, yeah. it can become a little bit overbearing at times, can't it? I think I think it does enough because you get the, you know, you get you get the building up with the the people in the village, <clears throat> the Afghan people in the village. You get the building up of different CEOs and they think something's coming on. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that that's stumped me a little bit. I think it would work. I think it would work because we have enough exposition in there for you to know the context, and more importantly, it builds up the characters of the guys that were following 
And I think that's sometimes more important than exposition. Obviously, with this being a real event, then knowing the real events is important and, and yeah. recognizing that it is based on something that actually happened is, is pretty important. But I think you're I right. think it I think it would work. Yeah, and I think to pull it into midway, midway does too much to show yeah. you all of it. Yeah. And then when it gets to those emotional beats at the end, it's they're almost lost because it's trying to do it a complete history lesson. Whereas in this movie, you get a little bit of history from the, the Afghani interpreter. And it's very guilty of timeline compress as well. Much more so than than the outpost is. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, you see, not only do you see Pearl Harbor again, but you see the Tokyo raid and yeah. like Doolittle's raid over Tokyo and everything. That does too much. I think uh, the outpost does enough. If you had a quick montage maybe of news sequences at the start, mm. just to maybe give a little bit more extra time. But then I don't think it really needs it because it it says Afghanistan in the plain yeah, text exactly. that they do in films. Um, most people know that there is a war or has been a war in Afghanistan. And at the moment it's in the news again. So so I think know. people probably have an, uh, enough background. And mm. it's kind of sad that people don't have enough background for, for Midway. That they That's need. the caveat, exactly. So thank yeah, thank you, Ken, uh, Ken. Thank you, David, for those questions. And thank you for the patrons for helping us to decide what film to cover this month as well. Yeah. And if you're interested in, in becoming a Patreon member, we're going to be running more things like this um, as the months go on and the weeks go on. So you can find us on Fighting on Film uh, slash Patreon or click through Do check the it out because there are lots of other perks available as well. Yeah, there are goodies as well. Yeah. And, we're, and we're going to be sending off for some new merch soon. Um, so look out for that. Um, as always, uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, and whatever you're listening on, check out the website at Fighting on Film. We cause some absolute sizzling controversy with one of my blog posts the you other did. day yes <laughs> you knew exactly what you were doing throwing that cat amongst yeah, those pigeons but... I know, exactly i was stoking the film war, war movie fires there for everyone keep an eye out for my reply next week yes matt is going to do a rebuttal um so it'll be the, the fighting of the host the host is going to have <laughs> a bit of a fight um <laughs> but look out for that as always thanks for listening guys and we'll catch you next week thanks so much Bye, guys. Bye-bye.